called the Telephone Assassin and today right here on the Speakers Inc. We Speak Global Speakers Showcase Series, you find out exactly why. His name is Anthony and I have a really, really strong feeling that you're going to walk away today with a really good idea and a really good option as to how to make your team more effective and more incredible and powerful when it comes to being on the telephone and having those ever important conversations. Once the talk is over, we will of course be chatting to Anthony for a couple of minutes as we always do with our speakers and then you have the ability to log on to speakersinc.com find out more about Anthony all of the other speakers talk to Bronwyn Duncan they will give you the details find out how you can make Anthony part of your next experience next up ladies and gentlemen as I said he's the telephone assassin someone that is on a mission to get business talking again and stopping people from hiding behind their emails websites and social media we all do a published author and international speaker, although he often uses training to accelerate the learning process, he has fast become the go-to person when it comes to telephone engagement and helping companies to improve both sales and service through conversation. You're about to find out why he picked up the name of, as I said, the Telephone Assassin. So please, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Anthony Steers, the Telephone Assassin. Thank you for that lovely introduction, Dwayne. It's uh, great to be here. As you've heard, I'm Anthony Steers and welcome to uh, Assassin HQ. Uh, I am known as the Telephone Assassin, but please don't worry, it is not as aggressive as it sounds. Uh, when my friends ask me what I do, I say I teach people good manners and advanced common sense. Basically show them how to be polite enough that people want to talk to you, uh, but also understand the emotional journey you have to take people through in order to get them to take action and do something as a result of speaking to you. Um, technically, I'm a conversational strategist, although I often get billed as a sales speaker or customer service speaker or trainer, uh, but I do love to uh, interact with audiences, although keynoting is a big favorite of mine too. Uh, today, obviously, I haven't got much time to showcase for you, so I need to balance it up between showing you a little bit of my content, and I'm going to share with you my five conversation steers. So this is a cool structure that people can follow just to give them tips in order to get people to listen to them, to like them, and to take action as a result of speaking to you, uh, but also some tips about how to prevent what I would call pipeline constipation. Now, obviously, I uh, like to tailor my sessions to my audience. So this is usually based around a briefing call with yourselves uh, and finding out a bit about your team and the challenges that they face. Um, so I'll explain how I can expand certain elements as I go and what I can do at the end uh, for longer sessions or even programs that I can help to deliver to your team. So let's get going. Uh, as I mentioned, I've got my five conversation steers and I'm going to give them to you in the order in which they appear within a conversation. They're made up of two golden rules at uh, either end of the call and then the three phases of the conversation that you need to be aware of. So the first thing I often talk about, talking about telephone etiquette is one of my golden rules which is called PTS. It's permission to speak. And basically, I believe that you should be getting permission to speak at the beginning of your conversations. People do it in a variety of different ways, but the way I wrap it in great customer service and, uh, and, and excellent manners is usually by phoning and assuming that I've called at a bad time and asking if there's a better time to call back. This seems to be pretty disarming. Uh, people tend to think you've made it so easy for them to get out of this conversation 
conversation that you can't possibly be in sales or if you are in sales you're not very good at it so it's quite a disarming thing that people think well there's never a good time to call me go on then what did you want to talk about? So this is a really good way to start a call to make sure that you're not forcing conversations and you're not guilty of what I would call premature elaboration. This is where an overexcited salesperson phones you up and either reads a script or just blurts a pitch down the phone to you. This premature elaboration sets off alarm bells that say it's a sales call and usually puts most people off, puts them into defensive mode or they become combative in the conversation and it's not pleasant for anybody really. So that's my PTS permission to speak. Once you've done this, you can move into the first of the three phases of a conversation you need to be aware of. The first one is all around building rapport. Basically, you want to get people to like you. And you can do this in two ways. You can use excellent manners. So one of the uh, examples I often give is when you're prospecting or looking for new business, uh, it should feel like you're dropping off a pizza menu. Okay, and what I mean by that is hopefully you've had those takeaway menus put through your letterbox in the past. I know that they want us to use the apps now, but they still seem to come through the door every now and then. Um, but what often happens is people say, well, yeah, I've had that happen before. And when I say, well, have you ever had them knock on your door and ask to take your order? Could you imagine that? that... Hi there, Domino's here. Can I uh, take your order? that's just rude and people often when I give that example sort of snigger in the audience and think well yeah actually yeah that's pretty rude and and that's how some people come across particularly in sales when they're prospecting so this is something that we can uh, we can do when we're reaching out to people is making it feel like we're dropping off a pizza menu and just creating awareness rather than trying to sell to somebody on our first contact with them second thing that you can do uh, to build rapport is use research we all have the same favorite topic of conversation that is ourselves. It's the thing we know most about. It's the thing we care most about. And the more information you have about people, the easier it is to get them to like you and to flatter them. Uh, it really works wonders no matter what age, what sex the person is that you're speaking to. The more information you know about them, the easier it is to kind of get them to like you and to, and to add a little bit of lubrication into the conversation. So there's two tips just for building rapport alone. Again, I can dig a little bit deeper on this when we get to do open sessions um, so that we can look at where you find your research, how you weave it into the conversation. But I think that gives you a bit of a taster of how I talk about building rapport. Once you've done this first stage, you can move into the middle part of the conversation. Now, I call this establishing your credibility. Some people refer to it as perfecting your pitch. And I suppose no matter what you want to call it, it doesn't matter if you're a lawyer or a landscaper, the principles work exactly the same. It's all about sharing success stories people can relate to. OK, I'll say that again. That's sharing success stories people can relate to. Now, what most salespeople do is what I would refer to as name dropping. They talk about their biggest client. OK, it makes them feel big and it makes them feel good, but often it can intimidate the person that you're speaking to. And I know this as a speaker. I often find myself in rooms full of uh, smaller business owners. There is no point in me coming out on stage and telling them that I've done work with Microsoft and BT and Lathwaite and GSK. I can name some big companies, uh, but it doesn't really resonate with them. And this is why I work with companies to build their credibility library credibility library. These are just one page PDF type case studies that are labeled appropriately so people know when to use them. 
This is again something that on a larger session with, with your team, we can dig into and we can really look at what that would look like for you guys. So we could phone some existing customers and find out what it is they really like about us and start to build this credibility library. Now it's great for a few different reasons. One, it's free marketing material. Two, it's great for self-esteem on those uh, bad days when your sales guys or customer service teams get out of bed the wrong side. Get them to have a read through your credibility library. Nothing will pick you up by reminding yourself about how grateful your clients are. And thirdly, uh, it's great because it allows you to establish credibility, even if you're a new starter. So when you bring on new starters, you perhaps aren't hugely knowledgeable, maybe not hugely technical. They can still show that as a business, we are very credible and they can get that across to people very quickly. So this is what I refer to as your credibility library. That's the second stage of the conversation. So we've got them to uh, like us. We've now got them to respect us. That third and final part of the conversation is all around creating urgency. This is because we want them to take action and do something as a result of speaking to us. So I don't know if you're aware, but in the car industry, they know you are 78% more likely to buy a car once you've driven it. 78%. So what I do with my clients is figure out what are the test drives we could offer our prospects in order for them to experience what we're like to work with and get some kind of value at that very early stage. Now, for some companies, this is a sequence of test drives. If you're in the software world, you usually do a bit of a, a demonstration to start off with an online demo. If they like the demo, you'll move them on to a trial, perhaps give them 30 days to use the system. If you sell products, you may send out samples to people. You may ask them to review products. You may ask them to come to a demo day um, or a sample day. There could be various different things that you can do. For some companies, it's as simple as giving out a tip sheet or booking a discovery meeting just to go and visit a client and scope out the issues that they're having so that you could put forward some form of uh, quotation which again is a type of test drive so this is again something that we can work on with your teams to really expand what are the best test drives for the different products and services that you offer that would help to move your clients one step closer through your pipeline and closer to saying yes so I've now told you about the three stages of the conversation and we started with that golden rule of the permission to speak. The final thing that I'm going to share with you, which I hope you're going to find useful too, is something called TFR. Take final responsibility. It's all, this is the only way that I believe that you can prevent or at least limit what I would call pipeline constipation. This is making sure that you have the next conversation already booked into the diary before you finish your, your present conversation with somebody. So if I was dropping off my pizza menu, which would be a case study to show somebody what an existing client may, may say about us, what I might ask them is, well, I will send this over to you, but can I ask, do you think you'll get a chance to look at it over the next week or two? And I often say a week or two because I think that's a reasonable time frame to give somebody to have a chance to look at the, what I'm going to send them. And over 80% of people just agree and say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'll get a chance to look at it by then. So I can then follow that up. And my TFR is well, fantastic. If there's any immediate questions or if you'd like to have a little test drive or look closer, please don't hesitate to come back to me. But just so I don't forget about you, I'm going to make a note in my diary for two weeks time so that if I haven't heard from you, I'm going to give you a quick courtesy call. One, to double check that my email got through your spam filter because there is going to be an attachment. But two is to see if we can figure out what kind of test drive you would find most useful so that you can see what we like to work with.
four out of five people just go with the flow and they're happy for that phone call in a couple of weeks time but one out of five will often turn around and go well what do you mean by a test drive and this is a buying signal and a great way to move somebody forwards uh, the TFR can be used in other ways too, more operational, I suppose. If somebody uh, needed to fill out some form of uh, questionnaire or a new account form, for example, um, you may agree to send that over to them once they decide that they want to sign up. Uh, what I do in this uh, in these situations is my TFR is by I allow them to set the deadline. So I'd say, OK, well, look, this form should take you around 10 minutes to fill in. Um, I'll email it over to you this afternoon. But realistically, when do you think you're likely to get this back to me by? And I let them set the deadline. And quite often people, they may say the end of the day, but the most common answer seems to be by the end of the week. And when they say that, I literally follow it up with a fantastic, in which case I can get it loaded up on our system over the weekend and it'll be ready for you next week. But just in case you don't get around to doing it or there's any elements that you need some help with or you're a bit stuck on, could we book a 10 or 15 minute call on Friday afternoons, perhaps at four o'clock so that if you haven't got around to doing it, I can help you and we can make sure it gets done. But obviously, if you send it to me before then, I'll give you back the gift of time and you can take an extra tea break. You can also weave the TFR into voicemails and also voicemail sequences. I often get asked about that and dealing with gatekeepers. And again, this is something that I can give people a few different techniques that they can use in order to improve their success rate of getting through to decision makers. Hopefully, if I give you a quick recap now, this gives you a bit of a flavor of my sort of content. Now, this is the core stuff that I tend to share. So my five conversation steers are get, getting permission to speak at the beginning of a call. This is crucial. Building rapport. And you can do this by using a little bit of research, but mainly just using good manners. Establishing your credibility by sharing success stories people can relate to and creating urgency by offering a test drive that's a really easy next step that demonstrates the value that you can offer and what you guys are like to work with. And finally, to prevent any type of pipeline constipation, you use TFR, you take final responsibility for the next time you're gonna to speak to them. The TFR bit is so, so crucial. And if you don't take anything else away, please do try this out. Um, I think we often get, uh, we often forget, we remind our teams perhaps that they need to take responsibility for their actions. If you have teenage children, you might've said the TFR thing, but changed out the F for something different. Uh, but this hopefully my tips are nice and simple they're practical they help people to improve their customer service and drive sales but when i get a chance to spend a bit longer with my audiences um, then quite often i will get them making phone calls and we can do some exercises too so if you can get me involved in your event even if it's just as a keynote if we can do it around a break i'll often get people going away and getting testimonials and getting those feedback calls this is a great way to boost people's confidence give them a positive association with the telephone and also start building your credibility library plus lots of free marketing material too other exercises I like to run with uh, with teams is to do a mapping exercise. Quite often, uh, as part of a longer program, I like to map out the full prospect to customer journey of all of the touch points that may come into play. Uh, but often, we I work with clients to tackle very specific phone calls so that we can come up with a call structure and look out for the red flags, which could be 
guilt grenades, blame throwers, all kinds of things that we use in conversations to try and uh, pass the blame on to somebody else. Um, but we can also create call cards using these exercises. I've had clients that we create five or six different call cards. This is an example of a retention program I did uh, for a sales kickoff session for one of my long uh, franchise clients. And we worked out that there's five conversations that they need to have in the first 30 days to stop any kind of issues happening and make sure that clients onboard successfully and continue to use us ongoing and, and we retain them as a client. Hopefully this gives you a nice little flavor of my content, a little bit about my personality too. I know Dwayne's going to be asking me some questions and grilling me a bit now uh, as well, uh, but hopefully you've enjoyed this. As I mentioned, I have been Anthony Steers, the telephone assassin. Uh, please, if you're interested or you think I can help your team, get in touch with Bronwyn uh, or Duncan at Speakers Inc. I would love to have a chat with you guys too. find out how I could help you guys take control of your conversations. Thanks ever so much for listening. And Dwayne, fire away with those questions. So Anthony, thank you very much for your time. Very interesting. Intriguing, in fact, because I have so many questions and I think a lot of our viewers have the same. Feeling like this particular topic is one that we can dive a little deeper into. And I'm sure on your full talk you do exactly that. But the first question I'm going to ask you this morning is, do you really think cold calling is dead? <laughs> It's one of the phrases that's been going around for a long time. And um, I would say cold calling is dead in the fact that you have no excuse to cold call somebody anymore. Um, cold calling used to be sitting there with a with a, like the phone book or the yellow pages and you would phone through and talk to as many people as you could and get hung up on a lot. And eventually somebody would say yes. And that was kind of uh, sort of how it worked. Whereas now you've got access to so much information online. Um, you can do a lot of research beforehand. You can oh. check people out before before you phone them. So the more information you have about people, the easier it is to kind of spark up a conversation or show interest in them and flatter them. Uh, and that's a, not a, quite a nice way to start the call off. So, so <laughs> that makes perfect sense, though, because it. That, for me then, doesn't really sound like cold calling anymore. This is cold calling with a very definite advantage. Absolutely. Well, you kind of play on the fact that as adults, we all have our same favorite topic of conversation, and that is ourselves. It's the thing we know yeah. most about. It's the thing that we care most about. Uh, and it doesn't matter how old you are, what sex you are. It really doesn't matter where you're sat. Flattery works on everybody. And the more you can tell somebody that you found out about them in your research mm. and how impressed mm. you are, you can actually yeah. hear their head swelling at the end of the phone. It's, it's lovely. <laughs> um, and, and there's some, there's, a, there's a, this thing in it because we're human beings and we do like to talk about ourselves. After three, four, five minutes of somebody talking all about you and you like it because it's, it's usually very complimentary, you start to feel like, well, I should probably ask stuff about them. Otherwise, I'm going to look like I'm really self-centered and a really mm. arrogant person. So it's a lovely way. If you start the conversation by showing an interest in somebody else, mm. they usually, once they've, once you've kind of indulged them a little bit, they tend to then start to bounce it back and then you get an opportunity to open up as well. Which then obviously leads me to the next question, which is, if that is the case and cold calling isn't really what we remember it being, why are people still so terrified of cold calling? If you've got this ability to do the research and be more prepared, why is it still so frightening? Uh, well, I think that one of the main reasons is I think we've all received that horrible sales call from somebody 
who isn't listening, who's probably a bit pushy and a bit rude, who's barged into your day. And we don't want to come across like that. And um, so you've got that element that we have this negative association with being cold called. Um, there's a, a nerve element as well. What if they don't like me? What if they tell me to go away? Then sometimes people throw scripts in the fa into the mix as well. They say, well, I'll, I'll, here's your script. And I don't really like scripts. I like a yeah. structure. It keeps people on track and scripts. People don't tend to learn them like an actor would. Uh, obviously, oh. you're, you're an MC, so when you go on stage, you try and learn your lines and things like that so that you're you're ready for it. Whereas oh. in sales a lot, people tend to keep their script out, which means you tend to read it and you can tell if somebody's reading. And and the biggest issue with having scripts is, it, well, the main one is that the person that you're speaking to has not been sent their copy of the script. So usually they say, <laughs> they say something totally off the wall that you're not expecting. And if you, and if you try right. and stick to the script, you distort the flow of it. Um, cool. So... I think it's a bit of a minefield, but I think most of us have got this negative association with having a horrible sales call. And we don't want to be that person who interrupts somebody's day um, and, and comes across like that. And that's why a lot of what I do is actually etiquette. I say to people, right. I teach them good manners and advanced common sense. So how to be polite enough that people want to talk to you. Um, but at the same time, you need to understand the emotional journey you've got to take somebody through before you mm. can expect to ask them to do something as a result of speaking to you, which is why right. I, I see some rather aggressive salespeople who are trying to go, oh, well, I, I, I ask people what's their biggest challenge. And I said, well, who, how often would you share your biggest, deepest challenge mm. um, with a complete stranger on the telephone? Yeah. Doesn't make sense, does it? Yeah. No, not, not <laughs> so, right up front anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's more about, I think, cultivating relationships sure. rather than sure. selling. Um, sure. And I think if you can concentrate on that, cold calling is not as daunting and horrible as you think. It's just about, it's usually about timing and just reaching out and being proactive. And I suppose listening is the biggest skill anybody's got on a cold call. You need to listen as much as you possibly can. Now, you obviously go into certain institutions certain companies and certain situations and give them advice on what to do in a cold calling in a prospective type of environment what is the one thing you always tell them not to do there's got to be one particular thing we said whatever you do don't do this okay so if you're basically with an outbound conversation or an outbound call particularly a prospecting call you have to be careful you know i talked about that people reading scripts You've got to be careful of this thing. You know, when some, when you're really nervous and your heart starts to race because the phone rings, all right, and then your mouth goes really dry and you're thinking, please don't answer. Please just go to voicemail. You do the voicemail <laughs> prayer, okay? And then when somebody does answer, if you're really nervous and you've got a script, you tend to just blurt it out. You kind of do this whole, and you can hear that you can hear the intake of breath when you answer the phone. You'll hear it. People go, hello there, this is my name and this is my company and I'm going to speak really quickly so you can't interrupt me and I'm going to hit you with a feature followed yeah. by a benefit in the hope that by the time I finish speaking, if you haven't hung <laughs> up, there's a really small chance that you might say yes. And you can hear I them almost panting and being out of breath. So I joke, I call this premature elaboration. Okay, it's an overexcited <laughs> salesperson or a desperate salesperson who can't hold on to their pitch. And if you start your calls like that, you just set off alarm bells that say it's a sales call. Yep. so that's the one tip i always give people is don't do that at the beginning but i suppose and i i don't want to uh trump your question here by squeezing in a second one the, the one the one thing that i think helps you for prospecting for sales for great customer service it's another golden rule so um that 
permission i talk about permission to speak at the beginning of calls um but at the end of every call i mentioned in my talk that obviously you have that tfr taking final responsibility and that is the only way that you can prevent what i would call pipeline constipation okay so if there's only one thing that you take that's going to make a really big difference and get people to take action it's the tfr that i mentioned in the talk that just allows you to get the next step in the diary so that you don't end up having that really excited first conversation and then two three four weeks later they don't respond to your emails they don't call you back yeah so the, the tfr i suppose is the real big one your second question was better than my first so thank you very much for putting that in i appreciate that next thing is now we go with examples a couple of really good examples practical examples of how you are currently working with companies in terms of how you go in what are the first things you do what do you leave them what do you give them uh, so when we go in i always uh, start off i give them some some etiquette stuff to begin with okay so i show them how to be polite how to stay in control of the conversation um how to prepare for the call so that you can be credible uh, using the the success stories that i talked about earlier on um and then we end up mapping their whole customer journey but it's actually a prospect to customer journey so it starts at that very beginning point where you're trying to reach out to them you might end up doing your test drive and offering them some form of demo um, then you move them into sort of closing the deal then you need to do the first bit of delivery um, and then you need to get some feedback and get a case study and it kind of once you map out the journey for people it particularly in teams it's a really useful way of making sure that everybody knows each individual step that needs to be taken okay that way you don't skip any steps and you don't get to the end of the, the the pitch and try and close it and end up with a no because if you don't follow the steps and you skip them you tend to miss something that will come back and sure. get you later on um, right. so what i try to do with people is once we map out this journey is we can turn them basically into uh, call cards so here's um, a quick example of uh, a company a, a franchise business that i've worked with mm -hmm. for quite a few years and we ran a retention program where we mapped out all of the thing basically all of the touch points with our customers and all of the things that might go wrong particularly in the early stages when bringing a new customer on board and we came up or they came up with a lot i mean there was 120 people in the room i think we came up with like 50 60 different little things subtle little things that could go wrong not all the time not necessarily sure. common things um but we ended up mapping out this journey and we put in catch points to make sure that if one of these things went wrong we knew what to say but we also were weaving in things beforehand to limit the chance of this thing going wrong. Yeah. So we created these five call cards that are the five conversations that you need to have in the first 30 days in order to make sure that you don't lose any new customers who are coming on board. So this can be a really sort of helpful way. Uh, and by giving somebody then these cool cards, you have a structure to follow rather than a script in front of you where yeah. you end up sort of getting sort of drawn in uh, and trying to read it. So that's what I do with all of my clients. But recently I've, I've worked with a bank who basically wanted me to come in and help their team deal with difficult conversations. And what they mean yeah. by difficult conversations is where they have to go and tell people that they've been declined for finance. Oh, okay. But these are people who um, are perhaps slightly vulnerable. They're new business type loans, uh, people who have their own challenges, who um, feel that they deserve the, the loan and that they're entitled to it. So we had to talk about how 
as human beings, we use guilt grenades and blame throwers. There are tactics mm. to protect oh. ourselves in blaming everybody else and trying to make you feel bad for me. Um, but there are subtle things that we could do. But what was interesting is I think we came up with 12 different things they could weave into their conversations that would make would put them back in control of the conversation. And it's just simple things like using a preframe. So, for example, because people are after business loans, some part of the, the process was to find out a little bit about their business. The problem is, is when you ask somebody about their business, they like to waffle on a bit. Uh, and their calls were ending up being really long because people are telling them the ins and outs of their business. So simple things like saying, in under 90 seconds, can you just tell me a bit about your business? And all of a sudden, what can go into five, seven, eight minutes, you know you can keep to under two. OK, so little things like that. But there were the things that they could do that meant that they could pre-warn people that they might get declined. So they, it was just interesting that it was the team themselves that came up with these ideas. But I just showed them how to weave them into the conversation itself so that they have more control of what happens next in the conversation and how right. to guide the conversation, which is why I sort of play on my uh, Anthony Steers conversations, because my con yes. basically that's what I try and help people do is steer the conversation so that you can help somebody to buy typically you're not trying to sell to them you're just trying to help them to buy and i think that's the real way that sales has changed over the last sort of 5 sure. 10 15 years is that people have made a lot of their buying decisions online before they've even mm. walked into the shop or or they contacted you so your job is to actually help them to buy as opposed to try and sell and close them right anthony look i could talk to you all day about this i find it absolutely fascinating also from the point of view that it's not just about buying and selling. This is really, it's conversational skills on a one-to-one -one level, on a day-to-day -day basis. You're really teaching people how to have better conversations, more productive conversations. So I think Absolutely. that's, in, in as much as it's a much broader life skill that you really are bringing to the companies, am I right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because I get a lot of people who approach me um, to kind of speak. Well, I get approached and they kind of go, we're, we're looking for a motivational speaker. And I kind of go, well, I'm not your classic motivational speaker. They go, oh, but we hear that you get them all pumped up. And I went, well, I'm quite energetic, but I try and give practical takeaways, things that they can implement and go and use straight away. Um, right. It's not about, for me anyway, or what I find from my clients, they don't necessarily, my clients don't care if your audience feel warm and fuzzy at the end. Okay, what they really care about is that when you go back to the office and you put some of this stuff into practice, does it make a difference? Does it mean that because sometimes, like you say, these techniques, some of the stuff I teach, you, you use on your colleagues, you use with your suppliers, you use with your manager, you use with your team. And they're just really useful things that just help you move things forwards. Right. Anthony, like I said, I could talk to you all day, but we don't have too much more time. And I am going to say thank you so much for your time online today. I'm sure that people are going to be very intrigued in terms of how they can use, their on, use you on their particular events as well. So hopefully, of course, they are going to log in to speakersinc.com. Contact either Duncan or Bronwyn. They'll give you all the details about Anthony, how you book him for your event, and just what you can take away. Added to which, of course, this particular clip will also be on the website if you would like to have a look at that and show it to somebody else in your particular organization right now. All that's left for me to do is say thank you very much for being with us today. Right here on the Speakers Inc., we speak Global Speakers Showcase. My name is Dwayne. This has been Anthony Steers, and we will see you next time. Thank you so much. Bye.